Bill Show wish to thank our partners in Positivity primary sponsors. The Roselli Agency, based in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, Brian and his team of insurance professionals have been serving the needs of Chester County for more than two decades. The Mallon Agency, located in Springfield, PA, where they take pride in tailoring the right insurance policy for the right client and exceeding expectations every time. It's hard being a, a retired ex-rock star. <laughs> People think you got a lot more money than you really do. Especially women. Welcome everyone to the Rosie and Bill Show. Our guest this week is one of the greatest drummers to ever sit behind a kit. He's a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, a founding member of the Hall of Fame Rock and Roll Band Chicago, and after decades of being on the throne, he hasn't missed a beat. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show, the man who delivered the most heartfelt and compelling speech ever given at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony, Danny Serafin. Danny, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you both. Thanks for having me. Uh, that was quite an introduction. I'm, am I blushing? <laughs> you are, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm blushing. That's great. So, yeah. Danny, when did you first discover the drum kit? What drew you to it? Well, my uncle, uh, I was very, very young. And I saw my uncle. My uncle was a drummer, semi-professional. And he was actually quite good. Uh, I saw him play at a, a wedding, we, you know. And I said to my mom, that's what I want to be, mom. I want to be a drummer. And then I, I've never let, I never let go of that. I, then I started banging on pots and pans, and then they got me a, uh, some drum lessons. I started at nine. So, you know, it was just, I knew what my, <laughs> I knew what my calling was because I was crazy, you know, high energy, uncontrollable, and the drums were the perfect outlet for me. I'm wow. sure. But anyways, did I answer your question? Did I answer your question? <laughs> yes, you did. I, uh, I can, I'm I sure your teachers at school were happy that you got that energy out at home. <laughs> well, not really, because I was beating on the desk. Yeah. <laughs> All the time, you know, even un unconsciously. And then they'd get, Daniel Sarkin, what are you doing? Uh, I don't know. I've, you know, <laughs> I didn't do too well in school. So, but that's okay. That's another story. Yeah. That's all right. There's, there's there's other options, and you clearly found the one that was best for you. But but Dan, sure when you were when you were younger, you said you started playing around nine. Did did you have any other interests when you were younger besides the drums? Just trouble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just just trouble. I mean, no, my you know, I like I said, I was so high energy uh, that you know, fortunately, the drums found me. I found the drums. I found the drums. And eventually learned to make my living that way, you know. Otherwise, who knows? I was in street gangs and gang fights and you know, I didn't I quit school at 15. So, you know, uh 
No, my other interests were drums, drums, and drums. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that about the gangs because sometimes music saves lives. And it yeah. sounds to me like, thank God that you had that calling because it it gave you an outlet and, and an area to focus. Now, you practice in your basement, right? Yeah. Did you, were you the guy that had all the, the, you know, all the guys in the band over? Was it always at your house, the band practices? Oh, uh, no, no, no. I practiced by myself. Uh, you know, Walter Karazader, we used to practice at his house. But um, no, we never practiced at my house. Um, it was always at someone else's. But, yeah. Because I know, like sometimes when growing up, my brother had a band, and and they would be down in our basement. My my dad yeah. would be like, "Turn it down, you're too loud," you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, rock and roll is 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 meant <coughs> is meant to be loud. There's right. nothing you can do about it. Although there are there are extremes. That even I, you know, my years, I have I have terrible tinnitus to prove for the loudness, you know, the, uh, you know, as a result. So yeah, it's just the nature of the music, you know, and it has to be, I mean, it, there's loud and then there's ear damage, right. ear splitting, window breaking. And um, thank God the band I'm in, we don't, we're loud, but we don't, you know, we don't get to that, you know, level. There's, and Chicago didn't either. I mean, we were loud. There's no doubt. And it has to be loud. I mean, it's just, that's the way it goes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Chicago, so let's let's go there now. How did Chicago come about? And and when you were working together, did you foresee this vision to the degree of success that you had? Well, it was an evolutionary uh, process. I met Walter Parazader and Terry Kath. You know, right when I got pulled out of the street gang thing, that's where I really got, I, I, uh, there was a band uh, called Jimmy Ford and the Executives. It was the number one band in the city. They were, it was a horn band. They were Dick Clark's road band. They played for all his tours. They played backup for all of his tours. And, you know, they were a legend around the city. And they used to drive around, you, you, every so often you'd see this candy apple red old Cadillac hearse with the name on the side, you know? So that, that was like, wow, these guys were a big deal, you know? So I got a call. I, I literally, uh, my life, had, I'd quit school. I mean, things had really gone gone to shit for me. You know, they had really, and I was, my mom, I remember my mom saying, you know, maybe you should think of joining the Marines. And I said, oh God, me and the Marines. And I, I you know, I, I used to get fights with the Christian brothers when they, I, at this rules i'm not a rules guy i'm a terrible to this day i'm a terrible rules guy i don't like rules i break them you know that, <laughs> that i just do i'm a rule breaker so i got the call uh one day and and literally literally i was kind of in despair i gotta say that i was in despair because i knew i was going nowhere and i knew what my options were really limited and they weren't good okay i knew that i, I was smart enough to know that at that age which is kind of a step ahead so I literally in my head I thought this isn't working the drum music thing isn't working I can't find any guys that are on my level or that want, are really wanted as badly as I do because they were all like you know 
fall asleep at rehearsal. It was just, you know. So I I literally thought to myself, you know, I I I, I guess I, this isn't going to work for me. And you know, two minutes later, the phone rang. And this is the honest to God truth. I swear to God, the phone rang, and it was a neighbor neighborhood guy who knew his knew who's who'd seen me play, and was following me. You know, he always like was it? Hey, you're you're good, kid. You're good. And he called me. He said, "Hey, the the Jimmy, Jimmy Ford and the executives, their drummer is going to quit, going to lead the band. Do you want to come and audition?" I told him about you. You know, because I was there. I was really young. You know, not even sixteen. And so I said, "Sure." You know, so I went. I did the audition. I played uh, James Brown. Papa's got a brand new bag. I never played it. I only heard it on the radio. I aced it. And you know, I played another song, which I only heard on the radio. I didn't. You know. And and they said, yeah, you got to, we want you, you know. So the change, my life just transformed right there, right there. I mean, it was like, it was like I got pulled off the streets, and I became a professional musician. And I mean, it, I mean, there was a process because I was, I, I, I remember the first time I met Terry and Walt. You know, Walt uh, Terry introduced himself and immediately burped in my face. You know, very nice to meet, you know. And Walt Walt was sitting Walt was sitting in the front seat, and I think they were because Walt was sitting in the front seat smoking a cigarette with his feet. Uh, it was, he had this pompadour, he had this pompadour with, with hair, kind of long hair. And, you know, it was, it was like, I was a stranger in a strange land because I'm a, I was, I was what they call a corner guy. I was the guy in the gangs, the Italian, you know, leather jackets, but, you know, fedora, you know, just, you know, miniature gangster, you know? And so, I'm looking at these guys going, holy shit, what are they, what am I doing? What are, and you know, these guys are like beatniks in some ways, you know, that was that, yeah, they were talking out of side groovy, and I'm going, but little by little, I worked my way in, and then Walt Terry and I became like, you know, like family, you know, and the rest of the band, and that band, what, what happened was that band merged with another horn band called The Mob, and <coughs> Terry, Walt and I got fired, <laughs> right? that's what i said we all were like what so yeah you know they, it wasn't like a yeah it was like you know they, they they're anyways so they formed a super group with another band but terry walt and i were odd men out so we played in a cover band for about a year and a half called the missing links which was you know it was just a cover band and we made more money with the missing links than we did with jimmy ford for some reason i don't know and then uh that band was kind of had kind of reached its like you know it kind of had ran its run its course because it was just a cover band a good one but not great you know because the guitar player i'm to be honest with you guitar player was a weak link so and terry was playing bass right terry was Ooh. terry played bass in that band terry played bass in the, in the executives and and in the missing links and so that band was kind of like we had one. I remember we had a club club gig at the place called the Money Tree. It was a mob club. It was dangerous. It was de depressing. And I remember uh, we're gonna, you know, the band was basically we was gonna break up. And Walt was being groomed for the second chair of the Chicago Symphony, and Terry had gotten an offer to go to California with, you know, because the flower power hippie thing was just happening, right? He had he had opportunity to go with a, one of the top local bands. Got signed by a producer by the name of James William Gristio to go to California, and and so I'm 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 sitting here thinking, God, I'm going to lose my 
musical. So are my brothers, right? And I mean, what am I going to do? So I talked to Walt and I said, Walt, you know, man, I don't want to, yeah, I, I don't want to lose what we have. It's, it's, it's great, man. You know, let's, let's put a band together of all the best players in the city, you know, a horn band. It's got to be a horn band because we, we missed, we both missed playing with the executives. And, you know, he, he, he said, you know, let me think about it. And he talked to his wife. He had just got married. His wife said, yeah, she, you know, whatever you want to do. And he got back to me and said, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to, I think I don't want to end. I want us to keep going. So Terry, uh, so Walt and I kind of ganged up on Terry. We said, hey, Terry, because we knew Terry, how great a guitar player he was. He was a closet guitar player <laughs> in a sense, because the last two bands we played bass. So t we said, Terry, why don't you play guitar with our band? You know, we don't want you to, you know, we're going to miss you, man. And he, he said, he, he literally, and this was a good op opportunity for Terry, right? You know, to go to the West Coast, that was a big deal. And the, he was itching to get into the hippie, you know, um, you know, flower power, the, the movement, so to right. speak. So he said, yeah, I don't want to, yeah, I want to, yeah, let's, I'll do it. I'm in. I'm in. I don't want to leave you guys either. So that was the the beginning of what we evolved in Chicago. So we found Robert Lamb. His name was Bobby Charles at the time. Yeah, on the south side of Chicago. Uh, we Lee Lockmane, the trumpet player, was friends with. Uh, he had sat in with the Missing Links, and he was a he played with local bands. He was a trumpet player. Walter was was going to DePaul University, right? And he knew, I mean, he was in a jazz band with a guy by the name of Jimmy Panko, James Panko. And this guy, he said, this guy's a really great trombone player. And he, I, he's a, I think he's a really good arranger. So we got him in, did the first audition, you know, and yeah. So we had, initially, it was without Peter, okay? Robert was playing B3 organ with organ pedals as the bass, right? Because that was the thing then. That was kind of a thing. It was It was a cool thing, but... So we, we, we started out as, we were, you know, the best cover band you could ever imagine, right? And we were, we were doing well in clubs and everything. And uh, our name was The Big Thing, if you can imagine that. We had an Italian manager and he, he said, we, we said, what's our name? And he, you know, what should we name the band? He said, how about Top Banana or Big, big Thing? And we said, we don't like either. He said, okay, you're The Big Thing. And, you know, we didn't, you didn't he's a big Italian guy. You didn't argue with him. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, I can't, I mean, we don't have enough time to go through the whole thing. But anyways, let me accelerate a little bit. So that, you know, we did pretty well. I mean, you know, we were playing the, the covers, Four Seasons, <coughs> you know, uh, Little Anthony and the Imperials, the Rascals, you know, Sam and Dave, all the, you know, all the, all the R&B stuff. And we, we were great. You know, you had that full horn. You got a great horn section, you know, Terry. But we were we were missing that high voice, right? And so we did it. Peter Cetera was in like the number one band in the city. You know, I mean, there were three other singers. It was called The Exceptions. And there were three other singers that sang at his level, but different ranges, right? And they were, they were amazing. They, you could walk into a nightclub and they'd be doing good vibrations, right? And right. you'd be thinking, man, I'm hearing the jukebox. And then you'd look up and it was them. That's how good they were. So... We get we did a gig with them where they we opened up for them. They were the headliners, and you know we kind of blew them off the stage, really. And and but we heard 
that they were feuding, you know, within the band and that Peter was going to quit or be fired or whatever. He, and so I said to Walt, we got to, we got to get him in the band, man. We need a bass player anyways, you know, that high voice. I was just thinking high, you know, Peter Sotero would be the tenor and then Robert Lamb would be the <coughs> middle and then Terry would be low, you know, or, you know, baritone, so to speak. And, you know, it took a little while for Peter, you know, because he was getting offers from every city, every band in the city. Everybody wanted Peter because he was, you know, he was a great singer then he, as he is, you know, and a bass player, really, really fine bass player. So he finally relinquished. I, I really, I really nagged the heck out of him. I mean, I pestered until I think he gave in just, just to get me to shut up. So, you know, so once we did that, I knew we were special, you know, and the uh, simultaneously, the guy who signed Terry to was wanted to sign Terry to the band that going to the West Coast. Pulled him aside and said, why did you pass up on this great offer? And Terry said, well, come and hear our band and you'll re- you'll know why. So Jim, Jimmy Gersio, um came and he- heard the band and he just said, you're the best band I've ever heard in my life. And he signed us to a contract, a production deal contract. And eventually he was going to bring us out to the West Coast, which he, which which he did. And we would, you know, he wanted, you know, we would rehearse and conceive our first album. Uh, so in the summer of 68, we 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 were getting what happened was, let me just say about the transition we made, because at, at that point, once he signed us, he said, now you guys got to start doing, why don't you do original arrangements of cover songs, you know? And we did. We started, and they were amazing. They were amazing. We should have recorded it. I'll, I'll tell you that. And we started, what, what happened was we were playing these traditional clubs who expected us to play jukebox, you know? And we play these avant-garde arrangements of cover songs. And we started getting fired. We got fired here. Boom, we got fired there. And at that, you know, at that time, uh, Walt was married. Peter was married. I was, I had just been married. With, and had a baby my wife had a baby and so you know we we couldn't have, we were starving you know so we reached out to Jim Gersio in, in LA and said hey if you have any plans of bringing us out now's the time to do it because we're starving we're dying here so anyways he he, he we you know a couple of the guys who were single flew out and then the rest of us you know caravan with trailers and 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 we went to Hollywood, you know. We we settled. We were we we were, we, we were uh, in a two, seven of us lived in a two bedroom house for six months, uh, and, and we con- we 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 wrote and conceived and rehearsed uh, the CTA album, and you know that's where, you know that was the, that was the strength. And you know it was very galvanizing, you know, to, to be living with one another. You know, you fighting all the time. You know, whatever. But there's a certain you know, a real band, a real band like that, a brotherhood, which is what it was. It was, it turned into a brotherhood. Yeah, there was um, a lot of fighting. Um, a lot of, you know, I mean, that's just, you know, you're talking about seven guys living in a two-bedroom house. You know, six. Robert Robert shacked up with a hot lady. <laughs> and uh, he was smart. It was smart. I, well, we were also envious. Yeah, but you had a, your wife and the baby. No, my my well, no, they were in they were in, oh, in they Chicago. Okay. Yeah, they they didn't come out for like, you know, I I like I would say they didn't come out for six months, but okay. may might have been a little bit less, but it was months and months. It was like a few months, 
Well, it really would have been crowded if wives and babies came out to that two-bedroom yeah, place, right? Oh, yeah, that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> so what what happened was this, you know, Gershio, he 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 paid our, he paid the rent from the house and then that's you know, he we rented these small apartments right around the corner for Walt, Terry, and my Walt, Peter, and myself lived in this apartment complex. And you know, it had a pool. Wow, had a pool. You know, that was <laughs> that was it. Had a swimming pool. We made it. You know, I mean, first of all, coming from Chicago and then getting out to LA, you know, you didn't see rain for six months. And wow, this is paradise, you know. Anyways, um. So that was kind of the initial beginnings of, and I, and our, by the way, we had changed our name to Chicago Transit Authority from the big thing. So good move. And that was an improvement for sure, because the big things, <laughs> that's a terrible name. I hate yeah, it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everybody hated it. The big I, I thing. Wanna, I want to say this before I let Bill jump in. When you were talking about kind of that that moment for yourself where you were like what am i going to do yeah there's the options are not looking good i it just sounds to me like divine intervention oh no doubt it felt you like know, it I, and i love that and i I, yeah. I just feel like you know god steps in when you're yeah. when you're doing what you're meant to do and when yeah. you're really putting the energy into it which you were yeah and, um so i we're, yeah, we're you're right about all that. of those impulses. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, and there's there, there's so many elements, Danny, in what you've talked about so far about, you know, that old expression, everything happens for a reason. And when yeah. you just think about all the likelihood of all of those things kind of happening and then all coming together like that is 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 really amazing and really is, I think, the kind of the definition of everything happens for a reason. And you you talked about that brotherhood and, and what you went through you know, for those couple of months in such tight quarters. And it reminds me of, you use that same phrase in, in that speech that I referenced in the introduction at the Hall of Fame speech, the induction speech. You talked about the brotherhood and you talked about so many different things. And, and I'm going to say it again. And what I believe is the most heartfelt, compelling and real speech I've heard. And when you talk about having the chance to play with your brothers for the first time, in such a long time. Are there even words to describe what that night meant for you? Heaven and hell. Mm. Heaven and hell. Wow. Heaven was, it was great to be back amongst the band. Hell was the way they, they treated me. Mm. I mean, they were nice. They were nice, but it was just, I could see it was for the cameras. And, and they, they knew... I mean, I think there was a few of them that if they could have left me off, they would have. And that's the honest truth. That's terrible. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, but that's the reality. And, you know, they've got, well, of course, my speech, they never forgave me for my speech because I, I dropped 10 F-bombs, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, but a lot of other people have done that in that same venue, Danny, but they weren't. Yeah. They were just doing it to drop F-bombs. In my opinion, yeah. your speech came from the heart. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, you know, when I when I really studied what was going on uh, what around, I, I kind of hoped there would be a, a maybe a reunion would come out of it. I was, first of all, I really was I really wanted Peter to come and and struggled with him and trying to convince him to come. But he, he just couldn't uh, he couldn't wrap his mind around it. He, anyways. Mm -hmm. And 
so okay so you, i was disappointed about that but i was not going to let that get in the way of and you know an incredible evening which it was an incredible evening don't get me wrong and when i went up to do my speech i was kind of out of body to be honest i was kind of like out of my body looking at myself <laughs> and and i and then i just went off i just went off i mean i just hi i'm danny f and seraphim you know, you probably, I've been gone for the last 25 years, maybe you have noticed. And it was just, and then I went on to thank a lot of people that didn't get, that needed to be thanked, that didn't get thanked. And and then just talk about the, the brotherhood of the band and how strong the band was in those days. And and and, and a, couple of the, a couple of the incidents that really proved the grit of the band. And, and, and you know, um, yeah, it just, the band and and then what at the end of the show they they were really really upset with my speech the picture the, the picture of the band you know was supposed to be a band picture with uh, you know that they and they kind of held they kind of gone ahead and did it and and held me out of it so mm. yeah. life you know life you know it's I, I i've pretty much given up i'm i'm tight with peter peter and i are really tight and i'm tight with bill champlin and jason but as far as the, the band reconciliation with the band, there it seems like they're they they want to hold on to whatever reason they use excuse to fire me, and you know, and they keep and every so often you know like Lee, Lee the other a couple of weeks ago said, you know if Danny learned how had learned how to play with a click he'd still be in the band. That's a bunch of BS. That's just, and I, I you know, but I'm grateful. And I don't want you to think that I'm very grateful. I've had a great life and uh, I'm playing with the band that I love playing with. We're, we get along. We're great, great friends. And the band is, 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 a, is a force to be reckoned with. I don't think anybody plays Chicago music as good as we do. In fact, I know there isn't. And, you know, we play it live. We don't play with tracks. We play it, you know, because so many bands now play with tracks. I don't know if right. you know that. Well, so now you're talking about California Transit Authority. Yeah, we have a great band. You know, Jeff Coffey singing lead. I have two great lead singers, Jeff Coffey and Tony Grant. Tony's the lead singer with the Temptations now when he can't do it. So, and they alternate. Danny, there was a time in between Chicago and in between starting California Transit Authority where you, you took a lot of time to do other things and to be with your family. What was that experience like for you? You know, uh, basically, in uh, 1990, you know, it, it kind of led up to that. All the wheels of my, it, it fell off in my life. All the wheels fell off the car. And, you know, it was a really tough time. And um, a lot of, th I had to come to grips with, it, with quite a few things about myself and the situation, uh, trying to understand why it happened. What I did, what I might have done to, to bring it on to myself, and you know, I'm, I don't feel like I'm a victim. You know, I I I don't think it was handled very well, then, nor it was or it was right. But I don't think I was. I'm a victim. I had a lot to do with it, in the way I dealt with people, and the way I, you know, so, you know, I, I just tried to make sense of it. But it also allowed me living in Colorado in the mountains. It allowed me to slow down and think and live. And, you know, I lived, you know, in Colorado, I lived a pretty, really pretty nice life. You know, I mean, I, 
I uh, it was better than most people that get fired. I had, a, I, you know, finally after, after, after the lawsuit was settled and all that, I had a really good amount of money, which, you know, I spent a lot of it just living. But I lived, you know, in the mountains. I fly, learned to fly fish, ski, uh, golf. And, you know, be, I was able to raise my, you know, spend a lot of time with my children. My children came to visit. Well, my J.D. and Taryn, my son and daughter, and my stepdaughter actually lived with my ex-wife in, in Colorado. She stayed in Colorado for a period of time. So I was really able to participate in, in their they're growing up. So um, that part was good. I mean, you know, so, and I think, you know, I don't think I would like to be in the band right now. I don't I mean, I, it's not that I, I don't respect them. And I, I mean, I'll always respect them. They have a great place in my heart for all the great memories I have with them and the great music we made together. It, it has, it has totally stood the test of time. And that's something that, I'm most proud of, more proud of than Hall of Fame, more proud of than any of the accolades, you know, any of the things. The fact is how good the music sounds So today. What did it take for you to get back to that incredible <coughs> level of musicianship that you had grown accustomed to after such a layoff? Well, it took a lot of work, a lot of witch-hitting. And, uh, you know, I got to play. I mean, again, I was playing with uh, Peter Fish, the late Peter Fish. I don't, you probably, you should, you could Google him. He's a, was a wonderful keyboardist, arranger, and a close dear friend who uh, really coaxed me out of the cave, so to speak, you know. But anyways, I was surrounded by by really great people that were supportive of me because they knew, you know, that I had some demons I had to conquer in my head, you know, and I did not want to be that athlete that should have stayed in retirement. And so I went and studied with the pop, with Jeff Picaro, the late Jeff Picaro's father, Joe Picaro, he, he the late he's he's passed on too, and he gave me confidence that I hadn't lost a thing, and that you know, uh, I was you know, I should I I should go ahead and do this and not look back, you know, and so basically that's what I've done, and, and you know the way I the way I approach it, but it took a lot of woodshedding, you know, practicing which I I do anyways to a certain degree. But, you know, the, there's woodshedding periods where you're really focusing on certain things and improving certain things as a musician, as a player. And that was certainly a time when, uh, and, 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 and it was play, I was playing with such great musicians again. You know, the original Chicago was one of the greatest bands of all time, in my opinion. Not so much because of me, but, you know, you put Peter Cetera on vocals and singing, Terry Kath, one of the greatest guitar players, Jimmy Panko, you know, like a rebel, you know, like a, he invented a style of horn writing and Robert Lamb, you know, amazing singer and songwriter, you know, and, you know, the Walt and, and, and Lee were just amazing musicians. <clears throat> so again, I was playing with a world-class band, playing the music the way it's supposed to be played. Mm -hmm. And that's the way, that's really the mission statement of the band I'm in now. Um, we don't do, people want to hear Chicago, and we play it, not, you know, we change some stuff here and there, but we don't change it so you don't recognize it. So, and people love it. So Definitely. Well, you know. it's interesting that you said, you know, you had to kind of really hunker down and, and focus to get back where you want it to be. Because I know on your website, you have a video that talks about the importance of physical and mental health in being a drummer, that drummers are athletes. 
And yeah. how much did getting into, you know, getting your mind and your body back in shape or, you know, maybe you stayed in shape, but how, how important was that at that time? It was paramount, you know, and it's, 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 you know, I'm at, it's very challenging. It's still challenging, but I, I the challenge of, of getting in shape and staying in shape, you know, obviously both here and your body uh, to play the instruments, the way it has to be played was, and, and, it, and I'm 74 now, I'm going to be 75 in August. So, you know, I'm a 74 year old athlete basically. And so, you know, I have to, take care of this body and you know i had a heart attack in april <laughs> believe it or oh, not sorry yeah. yeah it was a it was a drag scary but um you know again learning experience and and, and uh, you know i have to take better care of myself eat better more than anything because sorry about that, i'm moving this i shouldn't be moving that <laughs> so anyways that was the, getting in shape but there was the getting but I had to get in shape with my hands and my feet because I played equally with both. And, and so it was, it was a combination, you know, of working out. I did a lot because I, I was in Colorado at the time. Uh, I was doing mountain biking and during the day and, you know, a really physical outdoor kind of life, you know, there I go again. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was going to fuss it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm gonna tie my hands behind my back. Sorry. That's okay. You're a drummer. You got to keep moving. <laughs> I, that's you, you're getting a, a you're getting a glimpse of it. You know. Now, Danny, just one last question that I had for you is, what what do you do for fun outside of you know playing with the the new version of CTA? And again, I appreciate everything you said. And we've we've seen a lot of you know you guys playing. And as Rosie said, we had Jeff on before, so we know you're putting out some great music to this day. But when you're not playing, what, what do you do to uh, keep yourself busy and have some fun? You know, mostly I, I, I really am in, I golf a lot. Um, I live five minutes from my country club. And even when I'm traveling, I, I you know, I drive, I drive to LA a lot. I got an electric Mercedes. I love it. Ooh. And I love my electric car, you know, there's a, I feel good. I don't know. It's just nice to plug your car in. It's kind of a cool thing, you know, at night. So <laughs> But I play golf. I go visit my family, you know, in L.A., my grandkids. I've got eight grandkids. Uh, you know, I have musicians, friends. and um, But basically, I'm really fo focused on getting the band booked. And, you know, we're getting some getting some really good gigs. We're, we're going to play in Tel Aviv in, in, in August. And, you know, we're, you know, we've got, you know, we could be working more. I mean, the one the one challenge I face is there's so many Chicago tribute bands. There's so many Chicago tribute bands that, you know, a lot of times guys, promoters and buyers, well, why do I have to pay these guys this much when I can get this band? And, you know, so that's that kind of takes makes my job a little more challenging, getting the band booked as much as it should. So. Well, I can answer like, that question because we want the real deal. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I like the way you're coming from. Yeah, that's right. I, Danny, I have a question for you. If yeah. if you could sum things up in, in a couple of sentences, what would you want your legacy to be? I, I would, you know, I, I think they would they would put it on my tombstone that that he was one of the best at fusing jazz and rock drumming, you know, that, that he, it was, he made it seem seamless. 
he, every time he stepped on stage, he gave it everything he had in him. Uh, more importantly, uh, he, he treated people with dignity and respect. And yeah, he made his mistakes and yeah, he, he has some a, a few regrets, but for the most part, he, you know, he's been able to, to, to live the life that he, he wants to live and he treats people like he wants to be, like he would want to be treated. That's the way he treats people. And is that something that you've imparted to your children and grandchildren? Oh God, yeah. Yeah, I try to, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Especially the, the work ethic is really important. Because, um, you know, we we worked incredibly hard to get where we, where we, where we are were our you know i still you know and that's so important in life and you see you've got to you've got to work you you've got to try to do something that you really enjoy or love doing if you can and have a passion for it but you know in getting there it's it's not like a straight line you know there's, there's just, it's a jagged road and you have to you have to keep pushing through the down times to, you know to to get to the up times. so Amen. still today you know yeah. Yeah. Well, Danny, my gosh, this has been amazing. We could talk to you for hours. We thank you so much for coming. I could talk to you guys for hours too. Yeah. Thank you. It's, really, it's really enjoyable. Thank you so yeah. much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us and talk to us and share your story. We really, well, hopefully we're going to be playing in your city, you know, and then you can come, we can, I could meet you both face to face. That would be awesome. We will we'll be there. Keep, yeah, we'll we'll keep we'll be on the lookout and we'll be in touch. All right. God bless you. Around here. God bless you. And folks, thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We sure have. And we'll see you next week.